Welcome to MediaPost's Brand Insider. I'm your host, Steve Smith, Editorial Director of Events here at MediaPost. Each week, we interview marketing leaders from companies old and new about how they build and evolve their brands on an unpredictable media and culture terrain. In addition to this full audio interview in podcast form, we also publish a companion newsletter with highlights from the Q&A. MediaPost has been covering marketing and media news for over 20 years. You can find the Brand Insider Weekly as well as our daily coverage at MediaPost.com. Now, let's get into it. Multicultural advertising is one of those perennial topics in modern marketing that's more discussed than executed. Here at MediaPost, we've been covering the many ways in which agencies and brands have struggled to effectively and consistently address the ethnic and cultural diversification of the U.S. consumer base. One of the things that caught our eye about the new Nord recipe mix brand's Taste of Home effort is the range of expressive media it uses and the artists it empowers in order to connect with the Asian American and Asian Canadian community. Like the U.S. Uh, Latino population, Americans with Asian roots represent a vast geography, many countries and food traditions to traverse. Uh, also, we love how this campaign used mural art, and I love mural art. I live in the Philadelphia area where we give tours of the great mural art in the city that's associated with specific segments and neighborhoods. But Nora has tried to recognize the diversity within the Asian American and Asian Canadian communities by recruiting artists from some of those different communities to create murals in select cities, amplify their work in media, and even a docu-series, and eventually uh, a merchandise collection. We're going to talk about all of this. This is quite a menu. Uh, and we should mention that Noor parent company Unilever uh, International takes pride in marketing to underserved communities and being able to target ethnic niches with specific comfort foods that, that they're raised on. To discuss all of this, we welcome the, to Brand Insider Lan Chu. She is the head of marketing for nutrition and ice cream at Unilever International. Uh, she's launched multiple products in many countries. Lan has extensive experience with what we might call di diaspora marketing, finding emigrate populations globally in order to bring them foods that invoke their memory and traditions. She spent most of her career at Unilever, but also has had stints at Coca-Cola and Reckitt. Welcome, Lan. Hi, Steve. Thank you for having me. So some of us of a certain age, I think, have a very narrow knowledge of Noor as a brand. We think of it as the best source of onion dip. Um, educate us, and, and I know that there are other soup mixes, but I think the ways in which there are specific products that actually cater to very specific segments uh, that I know you're covering here. So educate us a little bit on how the Noor product mix uh, is composed, and especially how it relates to a range of Asian American and Canadian uh, American uh, uh, Canadian-Asian food cultures? Sure, you know, Noor, uh, as we know outside U.S., we call Noor with a K. In mm -hmm. U.S., we say Noor without a K. So mm -hmm. Noor is actually the number two big brand in Unilever, just behind Dove. Today, wow. the turnover globally, we are about 5 billion USD, and we have present in 90 markets and about 400 million households. And for U.S. and Canada, it's like a global destination of the diaspora consumer. As you see, we are the destination of Latinos, Asian, um, Muslim consumer. Uh, so having uh, being a global brand all over the world, we have the power of uh, the taste of home in U.S. and Canada. And being a global food brand, our mix in different countries are actually very localized. Mm -hmm. So food, the love of food is global. But each country has their own different 
priority. So the way no product was designed is based on the top dish in each country. For example, in Mexico, the red rice, the tomato soup noodle is the top dishes. So mm. we designed no product to support, to enhance the flavor of those top dishes. In Vietnam or in China, soup is like number one top dish. So our product was designed to enhance the flavor of soup. So mm. that's why the portfolio of Noor in each different market are very different from each other. And many consumers, they thought Noor is a local brand until they came to the U.S. Mm. and say, oh, you also have Noor here. I thought uh, Noor was India brand. I thought Noor was Filipino brand. That That's how Noor, like, you know, like grown in like a local community that deep. And we we are like 150 years old, so. Wow. So um, at the center of this most recent, what, what you call the Taste of Home campaign is mural painting. Uh, explain what these murals are, who's making them and where they'll be. And then I want to talk about the ways in which you're using them. Yeah. So, you know, Taste of Home is a very uh, intangible concept. So we want to make it tangible so we can see that uh, through the art. So we we go and find out like all the different artists out there and we uh, identify three artists that represent the top diaspora within the Asian community. So we work with Tania, she's a Chinese Canadian. We work with Amira, she's Filipino American and Faith now she's half Chinese, half Vietnamese American. They all have, um, you know, like a rich history with no product from their family, either, you know, like from their mom to grandmom, uh, and they being artists. So traditionally in the background, they incorporate a lot of that cultural identity in what they're doing. They're very proud of their cultural identity and they always like do that as a main topic of their art. So when they meet them and we say, we ask them to help us develop like a taste of home story through their lens, through their personal lens, Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, the work come out like we can be more happy than that. So Amira, you know, gave us like a pop sinigang picture of her mom cooking the sinigang with the background is a Filipino food and, the you know, the Filipino traditional cottage. Mm -hmm. For Faith, she showed all of the top dish. She had a childhood coming from her grandma. And Tania gave us like all these, um, which will come, we we'll see then in Lunar New Year, like a Lunar New Year, there's a celebration. Mm -hmm. with uh, dumpling for, for Chinese. Why murals though? That's so old school. <laughs> and, 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 where are, and where are they gonna be found um, yeah. around the, uh, the country? So the mural is like, um, for us it's like an outdoor art where you know, we can share that love of us to, to the public. You, know, you don't need to go to a gallery, a museum, or you need to go to like, any uh, far away place to find it. So we have one mural in Brooklyn. That's where Amira's art is. Um, and we have one mural in Denver, where the fiscal have you eaten art is, is there. Mm -hmm. um, and now you've packed around these murals um, a lot of other media, like a docuseries uh, yeah. that is designed to amplify it. So obviously you're not going to get a lot of reach in those two locations. So you Definitely. need to have a plan for how to amplify this. Walk us through the, the various elements and, and the ways in which you're, you're then taking these physical locations uh, and, and amplifying them for a larger audience. Yeah, so the outdoor location will be like the starting point of the campaign and we feature a documentary behind the artists when they doing the art and also they're telling the, their life story to the art. We interview them at their home, 
Um, so we're going to have a docu series to feature through digital media, as well as on the footage and the story are featured on our two social base, the Facebook and Instagram, Cook with Noor. We also have the website, Cook with Noor. So that will be amplified through digital media as well. We are doing um, a targeted marketing and, you know, like today in social media, because of privacy concern, it's not easy to like identify who's Chinese, who's Filipino, just based on the normal targeting. So we have to like really identify own affinity, like try to find out who that person is from on the, what they're interested in. And it's like a long process, take a lot of learning for us and with the media agency as well, because this is like the first time they got some assignment like that. Mm -hmm. So identify Asian American who interested in food and who like consume uh, content that's in Chinese, Vietnamese, Filipinos. Mm -hmm. Well, that raises an interesting question that uh, I know a lot of our listeners and, and readers encounter, which is now that we've seen, especially the major social platforms have been much more restrictive in how they target for a lot yeah. of very good reasons. Um, how a marketer like you who has a mission like this, where you really are trying to find a very specific community, or in this case, multiple small yeah. niches, uh, what you do to do that and whether social media in particular is the best way to do that now. I, I think a lot of marketers have seen this challenge and have decided, well, maybe what we really need to do is, is align more with media that are already attracting this the art to market mm. audience so maybe content maybe con, you know content um affinity is much is a much better way to go so tell us a little bit about how the media mix was here and whether you found that you really could find this audience mainly through social channels or you were using other media yeah so that uh, had to be a mix of media it cannot be only on social media social media is where we define the role the channel is for engagement so mm -hmm. where the content is very engaging, they stay with us. We also use uh, programmatic targeting through the Google network as a rich for like awareness where you do like medium like banners. Mm -hmm. And we work with uh, our distributors to do also like the in-store POS in the you know Asian store because that's where you wow. clearly see the consumer uh, as well as the partnership with influencers. So there's a look, so many like influencers out there who already established their audience which is the, the same target audience with us. So mm -hmm. we partner with them to, to promote them. And actually, there's one interesting story. There's one uh, Vietnamese influencer living in Sacramento, uh, Mama Food Jody Chen. She, we started with her when she have about 200,000 followers. And after doing some campaign with us, she now have about 800,000 followers and become like a very like trendy influencer. Oh. And actually, for me, it's like we bit joy too because we have to promote their platform, mm -hmm. you know, promote like not just Asian American artists, but also the content creators and mm -hmm. the Asian cuisine as well. Now, there's going to be another element in here that involves merchandise. Uh, as we start mm -hmm. moving into January and the Lunar New Year, you're planning a, a merchandise piece. So tell us a little bit about how that's going to work and what, what pieces you're creating. Yeah, this is like personal excited for me because I'm Vietnamese and we celebrate Lunar New Year as part of Vietnamese cultures. So we partner with Tania. Uh, she lives in Toronto, so she's like very familiar with all that crossover culture between Vietnamese and Chinese. So she developed like an art on like the days of celebration for Chinese, uh, featuring the dumpling and the canola product for sure, and a days of celebration for Vietnamese featuring the square cake with like a uh, different ingredient and canola product. 
and we're going to make her art into the collection of merchandise with the apron, the tote bag, and the red envelope, the one that you give during the New Year as like a celebration. Um, so that's going to be a limited collection on our website and also give away in the Asian Gopsi store. So when you buy mm -hmm. our product and there's some selected store, you can get our product or you can join our Swiftlet to get it. And of course, we're going to share that to our network of no influencers who have been like our ally throughout the, the journey. And they're going to give that away to their followers as well. Um, and it sounds like the through line here from the murals to the merchandise um, is uh, is um, is tangibility. You started out by saying that taste of taste of home is a very general topic and you needed yeah. to make it concrete. Yeah. And, that, and that somehow all of these various elements do that. Um, yeah. And is that something? Is that something that simply is is important for all multicultural marketing, or is it is is this mix especially important for this community? The, the well, multiple communities that you're trying to reach. Yeah. For the campaign, the year campaign, or this mural, for example, we're targeting Asian Americans, and Asian America is still a minority in U.S. Mm -hmm. And they also. Uh, if you do the survey with them, like 68% of them feel like the brand are not talking to them and mm. they're not like, they don't feel like they are, they feel like they're afterthought for many, many brands and many business mm. and they value the brand that treat them uh, for who they are. Mm -hmm. So for us, when we do the mural art or we do the merchandise, we kind of not just talk about our product, but celebrate the culture and put the Asian culture on the forefront. You know, like mm -hmm. this is part of, uh, who we are and that gives the Asian consumer like that pride mm -hmm. and the excitement because they're not seeing those kind of art or those kind of activity happen on the large brand, the mainstream brand. Mm -hmm. So if you see like in US, a lot of brands have started talking to Hispanic consumer, Latino, but that not happened yet for other mm -hmm. minority like Asian Americans. But, but I, and, I, and I think you're obviously, you're, you're, you're saying this. this is not, something that's solved through casting decisions that right. just putting different faces into into the same old ads is not the way to do this that you you really do need to dig deeper and understand what are the what are the key points of connection for that community and then really make it again tangible so it's yeah. something that that's more than just messaging yeah i love what you say about it's not a casting action because that right. truly like many consumers feel like and we do that with very thoughtful, like the agency you work with, like Mikado International mm -hmm. uh, or Media Ocean, our media agency, they own also like the people working behind those campaigns are also like multicultural consumer. So uh -huh. they, you can see me, I'm Vietnamese, so we are like working something for ourselves. It's mm -hmm. not like we have a campaign and we say, okay, how do we make it inclusive for multicultural? For our business, the multicultural consumer is the in the priority. It, it's mm -hmm. the first thought. It's not like, you know, yeah. we give up with that in mind. Yeah. And, you know, everybody who talks about multicultural always uses this term. And by the way, you haven't used this word once, authenticity. Yeah. In some ways, authenticity is not a particularly authentic word because it usually means a casting decision. It usually means a message. It usually means what language you're using. Um, doesn't necessarily mean really digging in and understanding what matters to a particular community and then finding that thing and, and working with it and letting them, letting them see you work with that thing. And in this case, yeah. the murals, the background stories, the family stories that you're bringing in. Um, yeah. And then, of course, the merchandise, which makes yeah. it even more physical. I, I, you know, I, I just 
wanted to point out that I think one of the things that drew me to this campaign is that it definitely dug deeper and it was thinking harder. And it sounds like, and I want to pull back now and talk about Unilever International's larger program, is that this is really something that's systematic at Unilever International, that you're part of a group that yeah. is very, very self-consciously trying to find these emigre niches around the world and bring food from home messaging to them. And that's this is actually a, a, a formal pro program there. Can you tell us a little bit about how this group is organized, how it's different from other aspects of, of NOR and Unilever? Yeah, it's a it's, it's a fascinating story as well. Unilever International was born in 2012. It's just a group of supply chain people. Originally, the mission were just try to fill the capacity of the factory. So they're like, okay, let's export more product outside. So we increase the capacity. And throughout the world, they realize what they do is much bigger than capacity filling. So that group started in India. And you know, like India diaspora are everywhere, all over the world. So mm -hmm. they see like what they do is, is like really give that diaspora like something that they need, like mm -hmm. really underserved consumers. So a group expanded to be like a big business today with 400 employees and we are 1.5 billion turnover each year. And we actually have a, a major pillar. Now, the bigger pillar as you talk today is diaspora consumer who underserved consumer in Europe, North America, Australia, and even like top like Dubai, Singapore. Uh, the second pillar is the underserved regions. Innova is a big company. We're in many countries, but we are not in like Mongolia, East Timor, and a lot of African market are Caribbean. So through the network of distributors, we actually get in the products to the faraway places hmm. that, you know, not reached by the, the official Unilever truck. The, uh, the third pillar of the business is on these like uh, professional channels, like, you know, hotel, hospital. Mm -hmm. We even like sell to the prison in US, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So tell us how you're organized. I think you you used the metaphor earlier uh, before we we came on that that you know Unilever is the truck and you guys are the scooters. Yeah. <laughs> so I like that metaphor a lot. So let's run with it. Um, but but tell me a little bit about how your group is organized and how it works, especially to find which emigre groups to go after, where they are, and then how you actually reach those groups effectively. Yeah. So our headquarters in Singapore, and we are uh, we have a. Um, you know, like office in own that major diaspora market. As I mentioned, uh, we have office in US, Canada, Dubai, Europe, uh, Mexico, uh, and um, India as well. And we actually, it's quite obvious um, where we find our consumers, uh, given like, you know, we can easily pull out the data for each uh, country. So in US, for example, there's about 90 million um, migrant consumer or like second generation who consume the food from 14 different like countries mm. or in Canada, they stock five diaspora. So we identify country by country and we do the mapping in the portfolio. So in the portfolio, we are, for example, no, we are the leader brand in 26 market. Mm. And uh, we see like, okay, among that we have Mexico, we have Philippines, we have China and we have uh, Nigeria, Ethiopia and how that map to this market. So it's just one layer is the diaspora, one layer is the market where our product is strong and mm -hmm. we like matching them. So in US and Canada, we launch the product that is best seller in the home country here. Mm -hmm. And the priorities for us is um, the top diaspora, like Asian, Mexican, and we also have portfolio for the halal consumer as well, kosher consumer, mm -hmm. kosher followers. 
that sounds like a massive data challenge. Yeah. <laughs> to do all of that. But then how to figure out once you find those groups, you've decided the products that really are best targeted to that group, how you then meet the media challenge of finding the best way to reach that group. Yeah. Um, our team is very lean and smart. You can see like in order to operate on the multiple diaspora, but like uh, like multiple market in a cost-effective way, we keep a very lean team. So we lean to a lot on technology and digital. Like for example, our team, we don't do a lot of traditional media, but we do mainly digital media and we utilize our agency who like sit in Singapore mm -hmm. so they can like have us to leverage media all over the world so we can leverage the cost and the expertise. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's actually, you can, how to say, I think the data is quite available. Uh, everywhere is not that hard to find. I think we just need to do that prioritization. Right now within Unilever, we have like a Power BI system where we can tie in any zip code. You can see like in that zip code, who are the people from this diaspora, what's percentage of the first gen generation and how many store nearby. Wow. And we can use that data to like target like the, the store, the media, the sampling activity, and it's pretty actually all available in uh, a lot of the existing database, you know, the II, the one mm -hmm. who sell like, retail data. Mm -hmm. They already have some of that data available. And we have some tool with our data analytics team. So we just like combine monthly sort of data and put them together into that Power BI hub. It's, uh, well, it sounds, it sounds uh, the data may be accessible, but it sounds as if you guys are putting it together in interesting ways that a lot of other brands haven't thought to do yet. Uh, but so would sort of my, I want to wrap by asking you to think a little bit about looking at multicultural marketing that other brands are doing. Um, yeah. and, and what do you think others get wrong about this? Because I've been covering this for many years. I go back like 20 years covering, especially the ways in which, uh, in fact, one of the first, one of the first, um, ethnic groups that I covered in digital was in 2000. And I remember a company called Asian Avenue which was one of the first social networks and it um and when it and when talking to the people who founded Asian A Avenue who then also spun off another company called um I think Black Planet uh one of the things they found was long before this was long before Facebook the incredible amount of traffic and activity and engagement that was going on in these online at the time they were forum communities around for various um, ethnic groups that were making incredible use of it because the internet was made for them. It, it could connect the various diaspora communities around the country in ways that no other technology could. And um, and but in in the ensuing twenty years, I've seen so many brands pay lip service to multicultural marketing, to leveraging that incredible dedication and and, and engagement that various groups have on online, and just missing it. I'm not quite getting it. So I'm curious yeah. how you look at other people's multicultural marketing and where you see it going wrong. Yeah. So I would not say wrong because I also on was on that side <laughs> a years ago. I'm moving here from Rickett and Coca-Cola. I don't think it's wrong. It's more like the focus and priorities. Mm -hmm. I think in all the company, you have a team brand marketer of three, four people, and they have mm -hmm. like a lot of work on the table. And then we have the term job to be done, like the top three job to be done for you is to serve the mainstream markets that you have maybe like 5% of budget mm. and 1% of your time. And you got that, you have to be inclusive for multicultural consumers. 
-hmm. So that is clearly like the afterthought by design, which mm -hmm. is why Unilever can grow so strongly in the past few years and because we able to do that. So we cut through the noises and we uh, become a dedicated team just for that mm -hmm. niche and I, consumer. And I'm guessing that you're proving the business case here. Yeah. I mean, because that's part of the worry, right? Is that other brands, small teams, they have they have a huge footprint to cover. They just can't they, they can't risk the time and the money on a niche that they haven't proved pays out yet. But you're right. I'm I'm guessing that part of this is that you're proving the business case for these kinds of efforts. Yeah. And Unilever as a whole, we also recognize that, which is why Unilever International has expanded from few people to 400 people today. Uh -huh. Because we, you know, serve like a, a strong incremental for the business. Blanche, mm -hmm. um, this was fantastic. This was really interesting. I learned so much from you today. Thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate it. Uh, look forward to you, to your other campaigns. I hope we get you to one of our live summits to talk about this. Yeah, thank you. And we will talk again next time because we're going to have a next campaign targeting the Mexican consumer. Ah, okay. Yeah, they actually also like an underserved consumer in their own end because you know everybody talking Hispanic, Hispanic, but Mexican have their own unique need. Right. That's how we become like under the club of Hispanic but not seeing. So we're going to launch a range of Mexican rice and we, I try own the product in the market and nothing tastes as Mexican as the rice we are launching. Okay. A lot of the Mexican rice here in the US is actually like Spanish rice, but they was labeled as Mexican rice. And the Mexican consumer are frustrated. They say, this is Spanish rice, not Mexican rice. Fascinating. Uh, yeah, so. we'll definitely have to revisit that. And it'll give me the opportunity to test it because I love yeah. <laughs> I love Mexican and Spanish rices. Uh, Len, thank you so much too. again. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thanks for hitting play on Media Post Brand Insider Podcast. We're here each week interviewing marketing executives from large and small, legacy and emerging brands. They share their experiences navigating the challenges of commercial clutter, media distraction, and consumer disinterest. You can also subscribe to the Brand Insider newsletter for edited text editions of these Q&As. For this and all of the marketing and media news reporting MediaPost has provided the industry for two decades, head over to MediaPost.com. And if you have any thoughts, comments, or suggestions for Brand Insider, you can always reach me, Steve Smith, at steve at MediaPost.com. Until next week, Let's mark it carefully out there.